Hi there, it's Lucia, host of the Witch Money podcast here. Before we start today's episode, I just wanted to tell you about a really handy new tool from us here at Witch, and even better, it's free. It's called My Money Health Check. All you need to do is answer a few quick questions about your finances, and then we'll do the rest, pointing you towards our brilliant witch advice that we think you'll find really useful. Once again, that's My Money Health Checks. If you want help with cutting your bills or making your money go further, it's the place for you. Just head to witch.co.uk forward slash My Money Health Check. Here's a figure for you. 54%. In April this year, that's how much the average UK household saw their energy bill rise by. This probably isn't news to you. I'm sure, like we all have, you've stared in horror at your recent statements thinking, is this actually real? How will I pay for this? If you fancy some more figures, that 54% rise saw the average annual bill for people on a standard variable tariff jump by £693 to £1,971 per year. For a family spending £30 a week on food, that's over five months' worth of shopping. What's worse is that for people who use a prepayment meter, who is statistically more likely to be on a lower income, the rise is even higher. And the final blow? Things are only going to get worse. The energy cap, which rose so steeply in April, is expected to rise again this autumn. The final decision will fall to the energy regulator Ofgem. It might feel like it's out of our hands, and that is true to an extent. But as we'll discuss in this episode, there are ways of taking back a bit of control, things we can do to reduce our bills. And in a cost of living crisis, even small savings can make all the difference. I'm Grace Farrell, and this week's Witch Investigates asks, how can we reduce our energy bills? Investigates is a podcast from the UK's Consumer Champion. We work to make life simpler, fairer and safer for everyone. After two successful seasons, we're back with new episodes every fortnight as we dive deeper into the issues that matter to you. If you've got something you'd like us to investigate, do get in touch. If you're on social media, you can find us at WitchUK or you can email us on podcasts at witch.co.uk. Coming up, we hear the impact of the crisis on those most in need. This is the worst energy crisis for domestic householders that we've had, and the fact that it hits the way in which people heat and power their homes. Uh, In September 2021, 4 million households in fuel poverty paying 10% of their income to afford a a decent level of heat. October 21, that goes up to 4.5 million households. In the April price cap rise, up to 6.5 million households. And coming into October, going up to eight and a half, nine million households. I hear how scammers are taking advantage of the crisis. 
one of the things that we've seen is data for the customers of these defunct firms fallen into fraudsters' hands and they've directly emailed these former customers posing as debt collectors and saying that the customer owed a kind of debit balance, owed money to the now defunct supplier and needed to pay the debt collectors. And I learn what we can do now to help reduce our bills. The Energy Savings Trust found that if you turn your thermostat down by one degree, you can save about 10% on your annual energy bills. Now, a word of warning. What you'll hear in this episode won't exactly be uplifting. A cost of living crisis and skyrocketing energy bills are no one's idea of a good time. But, and please hear me out, there are some things we can do to slightly lessen the impending sense of doom, which we'll get to shortly. First though, for the sake of context, why are energy bills hitting record levels? Well, it starts with this stuff. I'm talking about natural gas. There were murmurings of a price hike back last autumn when the Financial Times predicted we could be heading for a crisis in the energy market due to this stuff being in short supply. The reasons for this have varied, and obviously that prediction was made before the war in Ukraine, where we saw Russia, who's the world's largest exporter of gas, use its control over the fossil fuel as a bargaining chip in political power play across Europe. By June this year, Russia had cut gas deliveries to some of its biggest customers, including Poland, Bulgaria, the Netherlands and Finland. And while bigger EU customers like Germany and Italy have so far not been cut off, there are fears about what might be to come. In July, the Nord Stream 1 pipeline was shut off for annual maintenance work, although some feared it may be a pretext to stop delivering gas altogether. Just a few weeks ago, a report claimed various German industries were already rationing hot water, dimming streetlights and shutting down swimming pools in a bid to reduce their use, with fears shortages could hit the country once temperatures drop this winter. Fossil fuels have a long history of being subject to volatility because of geopolitical tensions. So we've seen that in the 1970s oil crises, we've seen that in the 80s, the 90s and in the recession in 2008-2009 as well. So there is a historic pattern of fossil fuels having volatility, and there's no sort of one market. So we trade with China, we compete with China for resources, we compete with Europe for resources, and basically oil and gas is sold to the highest bidder. So even if we produce more in the UK, which some people are calling for, it wouldn't lower our prices because it's traded on those international markets and basically just goes to whoever will pay the most for it. That's Jess Ralston, Senior Analyst at the Energy and Climate Intelligence Unit, and someone we'll be hearing more from in this episode. The fact is, even before the Russian invasion took hold, we were facing issues with supply. As countries recovered from the pandemic and industries began returning to their usual production levels, the demand for gas started to increase. But less renewable energy was being produced. And then, to aggravate the situation, unusually cold weather forced people across the continent to turn their heating up. There are some times when, you know, the sun isn't shining and the wind isn't blowing where we have to draw on other resources which are active. It's simple economics, really. The less of a product there is to go around, the more the price goes up. 
It's a similar situation with oil. Lots of oil-producing nations are currently pumping less than usual. Infrastructure problems, geopolitics, and again, sanctions to do with Russia come into play. According to the International Energy Agency, last year, Russian exports accounted for 14% of global oil supply, second only to Saudi Arabia. And that figure is much higher when you look at Europe specifically, where they supplied 60%. Now there's an oil embargo in place, most EU countries have six months to phase out imports completely. Anyway, back to gas. I'm Marianne Kalnan and I am a senior writer and researcher specialising in energy at Witch. Over the last year, consumers have faced an energy crisis that's been ongoing since last autumn. So We've got dozens and dozens of energy firms going bust and bills rising significantly because of very, very high wholesale prices. We mentioned at the start of today's episode a 54% rise in bills for people on a standard variable tariff because of the price cap rising. It sounds simple enough, but how does this actually work? There's a very common misconception about what exactly the price cap is. So it's not a maximum cap on your energy payments. It's a limit on the amount that energy suppliers can charge you for each unit of energy that you use, as well as the maximum daily standing charge. So the price cap was introduced in 2019 to help ensure that prices for customers who don't want to switch energy provider or the energy tariff that they're on are both fair and reflective of costs. But because of climbing wholesale rates, it hasn't prevented people from paying a lot for their energy bills over the last year to 18 months. As Marianne explains, the price cap tells suppliers how much they can charge for each unit of energy that we use. So if we can reduce the amount of units we use, and we'll discuss how to do that very shortly, we can lower our bill. For some people, though, it's simply not an option. This is the worst energy crisis for domestic householders that we've had. And the fact that it hits the way in which people heat and power their homes. Uh, In September 2021, 4 million households in fuel poverty paying 10% of their income to afford a a decent level of heat. October 21, that goes up to 4.5 million households. In the April price cap rise, up to six and a half million households. And coming into October, going up to eight and a half, nine million households. Adam Scorer is the chief executive of fuel poverty charity National Energy Action. The figures he's just quoted come from NEA's own estimates. What we're seeing is a crisis where those coping mechanisms that people have relied on for years and years just absolutely fail. They just cannot work. And so, you know, heating or eating, that's not a choice anymore. People are left with negative budgets, no way of getting through the day, the week and the month, especially when you get to winter, burning wet pallets to try and keep warm, cooking with indoor barbecues, turning down the potatoes and the hard to cook vegetables at the food bank, gambling, borrowing from families, high cost credit in order to get through the week. So it is a crisis, an existential moment of despair and hopelessness that's affecting millions in a good year. Eight to 10,000 people die every year directly from the effects of a cold home. Many millions more will be in hospital or in their doctor's surgeries with respiratory conditions and cardiovascular conditions and strokes and heart attacks and other medical conditions that are made worse 
by the cold, and that will increase as well. So that's when, you know, the cost of living crisis becomes a cost in lives crisis. Adam paints a stark picture, and things are set to get worse. Recent predictions from environmental consultants Cornwall Insight show the default tariff cap could rise to over £3,300 a year for an average domestic consumer. It's also important to remember that all of these figures are an average for an average energy user. So Ofgem defines an average or typical energy user as a household that utilises 12,000 kilowatt hours of gas and 2,900 kilowatt hours of electricity per year. So it's only really by getting to know your own household's usage that you can work out what you should be paying and therefore where you can hopefully make savings as well. For decades, the advice was always to switch energy suppliers to get the best deal. But right now, that isn't the case. Over 30 energy companies have stopped trading in the UK since August 2021 alone. So energy suppliers have reduced a number over the last year or so because the wholesale price of gas has been so high. And lots of them, they do this thing called hedging where they buy energy in advance. They can either buy a day in advance or have longer term contracts at fixed prices. So lots of them were operating on a basis where they were just buying it a day ahead. And for ages, that was fine because the wholesale price was cheap. But when the wholesale price started to climb up and started to reach really high levels, buying it a day ahead was suddenly a lot more expensive than buying it in a longer term contract. And that meant that they just simply couldn't operate with that sort of business model. This means more than four million households have seen their supplier go bust, which brings into focus a bigger question possibly one to look at in more detail later down the line. But humour me for a moment, if you will. It's something that came to me after Jess said this. Gas bills are rising because gas price is rising, electricity bills are rising because we generate some electricity from gas. Late last year, Sky News reported on national grid figures, which showed 51% of electricity used in the UK was generated using gas. The same set of figures show wind, solar and hydroelectric accounted for a quarter of electricity production, nuclear just under 12% and coal a little over 1%. Okay, so how does that compare with other countries? Let's take France as an example. Typically, gas accounts for just 10% of its electricity production, so the direct impact of rising gas prices is lower. Germany uses less gas as well, but it uses loads more coal. They stopped using a lot of their nuclear reactors after the Fukushima accident in Japan back in 2011, and they've been using coal to make up the shortfall. But that hasn't necessarily protected them from price rises. According to Reuters, at least 4.2 million German households have seen their electricity bills rise by an average of 63.7% this year already, with 3.6 million seeing gas bills rise by a similar amount. Hopefully you've learnt a thing or two about why we rely on gas for electricity. But our reliance on gas as a whole, and with it, our vulnerability to these price rises, is something I wanted to talk to our experts about a little bit more. We have a number of crises and challenges facing us. The net zero challenge and the immediate energy supply challenge. So 80% of us heat our homes with natural gas. 
Natural gas has been around in the UK for decades, if not centuries, and there was a particular move towards gas heating and away from coal heating back in the last century. So there has been a long period of time where we've built up our dependency on natural gas. If you dust off the history books, you'll see they show the UK as the first European country to import natural gas in liquid form back in 1969. It came from Algeria on a ship that was brilliantly named Methane Princess. We are reliant on it, but there's a definite recognition from the whole energy industry, really, that it's not going to be that way for a lot longer because we have got lots of cheaper sources that we can pull on. And, um, you know, we're leading the world and things like offshore wind. We have loads of it. And it's a big British industry that will provide jobs for people as we look to use more of it. It's widely accepted that renewable energy is the future. So is there a way we could capitalise on this energy crisis and use it as an opportunity? It's about 85% of homes in the UK have a gas boiler, but it's not dissimilar to the likes of the Netherlands, where actually more, I think it's around 90% of homes used to rely on gas, but the Netherlands have put in place policies and incentives for people to move away from gas boilers in recent years. And that has meant that they are becoming less reliant on natural gas and therefore are less exposed to what's happening now with, with gas prices across the world. We'll look at how the UK stacks up in more detail shortly. Plus, we'll explore how support from the government and making some changes ourselves could help with our bills. More after this. Hi there, Rob here. Now, I'm the producer of Witch Investigates, but I wanted to tell you about one of our other podcasts here at Witch. It's called Witch Shorts, and every week we bring you the very best of our articles from across witch.co.uk and our various magazines. With expert narration, we make these available for you to listen to, wherever you might be, covering everything from travel to money, tech, gardening and more. And we release new episodes every Wednesday, so just search Witch Shorts wherever you're listening to this podcast. On today's Witch Investigates, I'm asking how we can reduce our sky-high energy bills. Before the break, we discussed the UK's reliance on gas and how vulnerable we are to wholesale price rises as a result. So what's the UK government doing about it? Well, in the short term, and for those living in England, Wales and Scotland, there's this. The government's original plans to give all electricity customers £200 credit on their energy bills in October that was planned to be repaid over five years have been scrapped. There was quite a lot of controversy surrounding that because of the fact that it needed to be repaid. Now we've got the £400 credit that's going to be put into every domestic energy customer's bill in October and it won't need to be paid back. It's worth noting that direct debit and credit customers will have that money credited to their account and customers with prepayment meters will have the money applied to their meter or paid via a voucher. Northern Ireland's Assembly will get the same amount of money to distribute among its energy customers, though the process for this is TBC. There's also a £650 cost of living payment that's available for low-income households and again, this will be an automatic payment into bank accounts in two instalments. In fact, the first was paid last month. 
people receiving disability benefits will get £150 in September, and households that get the winter fuel payment, which is nearly all homes with a person of pension age, they'll receive an additional £300 in November or December. Phew, it's quite a bit to remember. Now, it's a sad fact of modern life that when a crisis hits, the scammers follow. And the people most vulnerable to the scams tend to be the people who are most in need. The number of energy-related scams has really increased because there are fraudsters that are looking to exploit the cost-of-living crisis. So in the first quarter of this year alone, figures from Action Fraud obtained by which show that scams mentioning one of the big six energy firms had risen by 10% when compared to the same period as last year. So in January 2022 alone, there was a 27% year-on-year increase. And we believe that the true figure of the number of energy-related scams is likely to actually be much higher because many scam attempts go unreported. We spoke to one of our journalists who's been following the energy scamdemic. I'm Faye Lipson. I'm an investigator at WITCH and I specialise in looking at fraud, scams and data privacy issues. We got her to run through some of the scams that are being reported. One particularly clever example that we saw about a month ago was very shortly after it was announced that every energy account in the UK, every household to get £400 credit applied to their account through the government. Really quite a convincing looking email with the Offgem logo saying, you can claim these various rebates, click through here to do it and taking people to an entirely fake copycat Ofgem website um, where they were then kind of prompted to enter their details, including card details and other personal details that could be used to access people's accounts. And then there's this one. Action Fraud has reported that there are gangs of people going door to door and selling cloned meter keys for prepayment meters. And how this works is that they will, you know, artificially top up the key and say it's got £100 on it. You can pay us £50 so you can get in your energy essentially half price. The householder buys the meter key. Sometimes the householder thinks the person selling it at the door is actually an energy company employee. What happens? is over time their energy supplier, the genuine one, will realise that they have not been receiving top-ups from that customer. No money's been put on that meter and eventually the customer ends up paying twice essentially because they receive a bill from the supplier for all the energy that they've been using and not paying for. And it doesn't end there. Some fraudsters have even posed as bailiffs and debt collectors. One of the things that we've noticed is that the collapse of dozens of smaller energy companies, many of them sadly gone into administration, has actually created a bit of a climate of confusion for the customers that are left behind. One of the things that we've seen is data for the customers of these defunct firms fallen into fraudsters' hands and they've directly emailed these former customers posing as debt collectors and saying that the customer owed a kind of debit balance, owed money to the now defunct supplier and needed to pay the debt collectors. Thanks, Faye. If you think you've spotted a scam, you can report the details to us here at Witch. I've put a link for this in the show notes, and you should also report it to Action Fraud. 
We've also got a scam newsletter that provides information on the most common scams doing the rounds. You can sign up for it at witch.co.uk forward slash newsletter. I really recommend that one. Oh, and one more thing. If you want to know more about Faye's investigation, we've got an episode all about it on our sister podcast, Witch Shorts. There's a link for that in the description of this episode. I thought I'd do this next bit of episode from my in-laws loft. An odd thing to do, you might think, but it's here that we could unlock some of those much needed savings on our bills. We've already discussed the short-term solutions being offered by the government here in the UK. But what about more long-term thinking? So other countries across Europe are also struggling with rising energy bills and there's different policy levers and different sort of emergency bill help which can be introduced to try and limit the effects on household bills. So France, for example, have started as a scheme. They actually started it just after lockdown so before bills rose this much but they still have continued it to try and keep people's bills low it's called my prime renovation and it basically gives people grant funding for insulating their homes insulation is a great way to help your home feel cozy and reduce your energy payments so it's great for your home and your pocket and a quarter of heat in an uninsulated home is lost through the roof according to the energy savings trust so topping it up from 120 millimeters to at least 170 millimeters of insulation will really help with making some savings it's time to get to the crux of today's episode Amidst the crisis, what can we do ourselves if we want to take control of our bills and make some savings? Well, among all our experts, there was one thing that came up time and time again. Insulating homes is a massive, massive way in which you can reduce your bills. So there's lots of homes that do have loft insulation, but they don't have very thick loft insulation. So even if your house does have loft insulation, you can go and buy rolls of insulation from B&Q, places like that, and simply roll it out in your loft yourself. And if you're anything like me, it's a good chance to have a clear out of your loft as well. Now I've got my head into the loft itself, it seems like my in-laws could do with some of Jess's advice. If you haven't got cavity wall insulation, you can simply get that put in and immediately insulating your home is a step which will reduce your energy demand. Uh, You don't need to use as much gas if you've got a warm home, so you reduce your energy bills. And that's one thing at the moment that is being overlooked by government policy, I would say. They're focusing a lot on where we get our oil and gas from and how we use it, but they're not really focusing on how we can reduce our demand for it in the first place. And I think that would be a really valuable exercise. In a government report released last year, they calculated 18.7 billion had been saved on the lifetime bills of all those who had installed insulation, or as they termed it, cumulative affordable warmth measures. Catchy. The savings you can make are obvious. There's also potentially another worthwhile home improvement if you can afford it. Solar panels are a great investment into lowering your energy bills, but that's simply not feasible for a lot of us. So you're looking at about six and a half thousand pounds typically to 
purchase solar panels. They are beneficial in terms of lowering your bills, but that is quite a substantial investment to start with. But obviously, with the weather hopefully being warmer come the summer months, they are a good investment if you have the capital to do so. According to the Energy Saving Trust, people living in places like Manchester or Stirling could save more than £450 a year, as well as 750 kilograms of CO2 by having them. You can also consider swapping your old boiler for a newer model. So this will help keep your energy bills in check. And if yours is a decade old or even older, it could be really lacking in energy efficiency. You could actually be forking out more than you need to for your energy payments without even realising it. The elephant in the room here is that one of the main support measures initially brought in to help fund these type of renovations, the Green Homes Grant, came to an end earlier this year. Here's Adam from National Energy Action again. Successive governments need to just kind of come to their senses and understand that the political risks of a wholesale energy efficiency programme is worth it because the benefits repay year after year after year. You get to net zero faster, you reduce numbers in fuel poverty quicker, you reduce levels of energy debt, you don't have energy debt supercharging inflation. That's an opportunity that we should grasp. Put simply, the less energy our homes waste, the less energy we need to use. The challenge with energy efficiency is not a trivial one. The challenge we need to face up to, it's a thing that governments need to focus on. It's really difficult because of the scale of it. Our housing stock is old, especially in rural areas. It's really difficult to heat. And the prospect of going through all the housing stock in the UK to bring it up to scale is quite challenging. It's certainly no small task. And that's why anything we can do ourselves could prove vital. If the cost of something like solar panels or a new boiler is off-putting or just completely out of reach, there are cheaper ways to save money on your energy bills. There's apps for your smartphone that you can consider to help you make savings on your energy. Among the most popular are the Energy Cost Calculator and the Energy Efficiency Advice Tool from the Energy Savings Trust. So essentially, they help you understand which of your household appliances are consuming the most energy, and then you can change your behaviour in accordance to what that tells you. That might mean using more efficient light bulbs, boiling less water in the kettle, or washing clothes at a lower temperature. I was particularly interested by this tip that Marianne suggested. A smart thermostat will help give you a handle on your heating. So these range from about 100 to 200 pounds. So they're relatively cheap. And you can also install thermostatic radiator valves, which are very, very cheap. So they start at about 15 pounds. And they mean that you can only heat the rooms that you need to. And this stat blew my mind. The Energy Savings Trust found that If you turn your thermostat down by one degree, you can save about 10% on your annual energy bill. So it's really, really beneficial to make sure that you know how warm you'd like your property to be and maybe decrease that slightly and layer up where you can. I mentioned earlier that the Green Homes Grant has ended, but there are schemes that do still exist which are worth looking into like this one that Jess flagged during our chat. There is currently a scheme called the Energy Company Obligation, or ECO as it's called, and it helps out with vulnerable and low-income households 
to have things like insulation, smart controls on their boilers, things like that. It helps them install those. It essentially pays for the whole thing. And there's a, an argument which is being made around now being the time to extend schemes like that because so many more people, even if they're not in fuel poverty at the moment, so many more will enter it this year as bills rise further. Earlier this year, the government also introduced its Boiler Upgrade Scheme, which offers grants of up to six grand per household to put towards replacing your gas boiler with a cleaner alternative like a biomass boiler or a ground or air source heat pump. And if you want more information on heat pumps or other alternative energy solutions, then we've actually got an episode dedicated to just that. Just scroll down this podcast feed for the one that says, Will hydrogen soon be heating your home? If you want a spoiler, by the way, the answer's no. Make no mistake, there's no end in sight to this energy crisis. Prices are continuing to rise, the struggle is real, and more needs to be done to help the people that are most in need. It's all the more important that we do what we can to reduce our usage and in turn lower our bills. That said, if we're to really make our homes as efficient as possible, we need government support too. I'll leave you with a final word from Jess. It may just hint at a brighter future. I think fundamentally, the transition to net zero is one that's also good for Bill. So it is definitely a beneficial move to increase things like insulation and renewables. And I am hopeful that that message is starting to come through. I think it's been definitely put under the microscope by the current gas crisis. What's the saying? Short-term pain for long-term gain? Unfortunately for some, the energy crisis is an immediate concern and one that needs action sooner rather than later. I hope you enjoyed this week's Witch Investigates podcast. Next time, we're looking ahead to the August bank holiday, sunshine pending, and delving into the complex world of sunscreen. If you've just discovered this podcast, then firstly, hello and welcome. Please do give our previous episode to listen as well. You won't be disappointed. We've got new content going live every day on witch.co.uk, and you can also sign up for our free email newsletters for the lowdown on everything from personal finance to gardening tips to the best value city breaks in our travel newsletter. That's at witch.co.uk forward slash newsletters. Please do share this episode and our podcast with anyone you think might enjoy it. Let's face it, most people could do with some energy saving tips at the moment. And if you could be a legend and give us a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening, that would be hugely appreciated as it makes us more discoverable to other people. Today's episode was presented by me, Grace Farrell, written and produced by Rob Lilly. Editing and original music is by Eric Breer. And our executive producer is Angus Farker. Special thanks this week go to Emily Seymour, Marianne Kalnan, Faye Lipson and the rest of the team here at Witch. And I'll be back soon for our next investigation. Music.